and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace Podcast. Each episode will explore a biblical passage or topic, offer insight and application, and point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also will provide devotional interactive questions ideal for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. Today, we find ourselves in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic here in the United States, as well as all around the world. You know, we are already living in stressful times, living in a perpetual cycle of more technology, lack of sleep, unfulfilled high expectations, social media pressures, red lights, throw in some political polarization and sprinkle in some global warming. No wonder millennials are known as the most anxious generation in history. <laughs> and now this, this, this virus, talk about anxiety. You know, anxiety, that feeling of worry or unease, typically about some upcoming event where there is an uncertain outcome. Change and uncertainty, those are the things that breed anxiety. They're two of our most dreaded bedfellows, and they leave us in a total lack of control. Boy, we hate that. So then dread can, uh, can seep in, and fear and despair fills the air like floating droplets. You can't seem to shake it. How was your day? Well, give us this day our daily bread takes on a whole new meaning. You know, stay six feet away so I don't have to go six feet under comes our new normal. And if you're watching the news on TV, notice the new scoreboard. How many were infected today? How many died today? But this isn't a sport. And our questions are, man, when do we get back to normal? Will we ever get back to normal? What happens to our healthcare systems? Will there be another Great Depression? And this thing is worldwide, every state, virtually every nation. No one's escaping it. So where do we turn to get some encouragement or help? Maybe we should turn to the televangelists on the TV. Oh, boy, they say some outrageous things. Kenneth Copeland said, come touch the TV set and receive healing from the virus. Through the TV. Rodney Howard Brown, another televangelist, he promised to bind the virus from the United States. Well, apparently that didn't work. He also said the virus pandemic is a plot to kill many people through forced vaccinations. Another one, Jim Baker, he sells this miracle ointment for a lot of money, but it, you'll escape the virus. You know, all these guys and their, their gimmicks just brings more anxiety. No thanks. So maybe we turn to the Church of Conservative News. I mean, they're either downplaying the virus or complaining about what the other guys are saying and uncritically playing Simon Says. Some seem more concerned about the economy than lives being lost, kind of a different perspective from a Christian point of view. Others seem to be immersed in elaborate conspiracies, you know, and buy guns, get, get ammo, stock up, shoot to kill, just inducing more fear. And some are just casually maybe spreading rumors and distrust, lockdown, we're in a lockdown, now churches are illegal. There's going to be looting in the streets. We're going to run out of food. More fear. Boy, I'm glad nearly half of Americans now are under stay-at-home orders, and we haven't seen any of that yet anywhere. 
So, hey, no thanks to all that stuff either. That just brings more anxiety. So where do we go? You know, there's all sorts of Christians who have hope and who seem okay, seem calm and reasonable. So what makes that work? Well, we know the answer. We look up. We see that there's a God, and this God has spoken. And to those of us who believe in him, these words, man, they're valuable. They're valuable words to take in. Ancient words, refreshing words, words of truth, words of hope, words of comfort, words that stabilize, and words that can enable us to stare down the anxiety. So how about some of those words? That's what we're going to do. Just look at a little passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. And we're going to look at what Paul writes to uh, Timothy, who was a pastor, someone that, one who Paul had mentored. And he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded that, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So verse 3, he kind of just stems from verse 1. I thank God, he says. And here's one of the things he's thanking God for from verse 3 is in verse 5. I thank God for you, Timothy, when I remember the faith that is in you, that genuine faith. And here, the idea of faith, of faith means to be uh, persuaded so as to trust, to believe someone's word or their promise. And by genuine, it just means not hypocritical. It's not just an external for show faith. It's, the, it's, it's faith. It's, it's, it's internal. It's who Timothy it's, it forms him. The same kind of faith, this was in your mother and grandmother. It's, uh, and Paul is persuaded that this faith is in you. So these were intended to be words of encouragement. Timothy, you know, you're saved and you, you, you've walked with the Lord. You haven't been hypocritical. And I'm persuaded you're going to continue to do that. Why? Well, because he's going to get to that in verse 7. But in between, in verse 6, he says, Therefore, I'm reminding you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift of God which is in you. And that word gift is charis. That's where we get grace. And what it is is God has given to the believer, to the one who is saved. He's given us something when we got saved, a spiritual giftedness, which is really an, an ability for certain kinds of ministry, things that we're drawn to, things that uh, the Lord has prepared us for. And it's like a calling, a direction to take. And God wants us to go forth. This is ministering in some capacity for others. And so stir that gift up, Timothy, because it appears that perhaps he was hesitating. There was something that was maybe causing him a little fear or timidity. And Paul says, stir up that gift. And then in verse 7, he gives the reasons why we should do that, why we can do that. And he starts in verse 7, he says, hey, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us Three kinds of spirit. What does he mean by, by spirit? He, he speaks here of a spirit we know can be an entity like the Holy Spirit or whatnot. But here it's, it's used more like an influence, a focus of mind, a, a being defined. It's, it's, that spirit is defined by uh, a noun that comes after it that's in the genitive case, a spirit of something. It's used scripturally in a few places like 2 Corinthians 4.13 where Paul talks about the spirit of faith. Or in Ephesians 1.17, he prays that God would give us the spirit of wisdom. Or in Romans 8.2, the spirit of life. And so we see 
here he's in a negative context. Here it is the spirit of fear. God hasn't given us this, this spirit of fear, this that which would be overwhelming us then with fear or influencing us with fear. We're not driven by fear or a lack of courage. And so God has not given us the spirit of fear. The, the Greek word for fear is dahlia. It's the only time it's used in the, in the New Testament, but it just really is the idea of a lack of courage to have even cowardice or timidity, a lack of courage. And so here's Timothy, uh, this pastor and a teacher. He's, he's maybe struggling a little bit with some form of ministry or some aspect of ministry, and he's a bit fearful. May we dare say here's Timothy, a pastor who's even anxious. And he's saying, Paul's saying, God hasn't given you this. He hasn't given you a lack of courage. Like the Wizard of Oz and the the lion, you know, he, he needs courage. He's trying to find courage. And God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but this contrast, the conjunction, instead, God's given us three things. And notice he says us. Paul now says he's given us. And he puts himself in there, and that means all of us, meaning you, if you're hearing this today, if you're saved, this is what God has already done. He's given this to us. The spirit of power, this is his power, God's power. You know, when we think of God's power, that's humbling. We think of our smallness and we think of his amazing power that spoke the creation into, the, into existence and things of that nature. And this power transcends all other powers. And in fact, I'd like how God took Job when Job was really questioning God and struggling with things. God sat him down after at the end of the, that book there and in chapters 38 and 39. He asked Job 77 questions. And he asks him things like, where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And have you gone to the springs that fill the sea or walked about in the recesses of the deep? Can you tie the bands of Pleiades or release the cords of Orion? Can you send out lightning bolts and they go? Hey, Job, are you acquainted with the way the mountain goats give birth? Who let that wild donkey go free? Is it by your understanding the hawk soars? In other words, Job, who made all this? Who's aware of all this? Who is maintaining all of this? And it's me, God is saying. And you want to wrestle with me? <laughs> no, Job changes his mind there in a beautiful passage at the end of the book. So here's God standing supreme and mighty and holy and awesome, and the mountains quake as we think of like Moses in the, in the Sinai. God exists apart from and is not subject to the limitations of this material universe. There's a creator-creature uh, distinction here, and he has total power, total authority. He's sovereign. Really, it's terrifying. He is above. Think of an incredible hulk of a man flexing his muscle, impressive, stirring awe. You don't want to get in the ring with him. But he also is the loving father. The same God is full of compassion and grace and mercy and goodness and tenderness. And he's personal and he wants to have a relationship with us. And so all of this power gets funneled toward us in a very loving, personal way. And we have the spirit of power that we know uh, that his power is, is our friend. He's not only above in that awesome, terrifying way, but he's with in that amazing, personal way. Just think of that hulk of a muscle man, so impressive, but he's smiling at you with kind eyes, offering friendship. So that powerful God has given you and I the spirit of his powers, verse 7 says. And 
God's awesome power that transcends then and rests upon our lives, and it's relational. That's why Paul can pray, I know that I may know him in Philippians 3.10. And the power of his resurrection, notice I may know him and his power, it's personal, it's relational. And the fellowship of his sufferings, he goes on. And so, as we think of verses 5 and 6 before this, he's looked, Timothy, you are a believer. You've been saved. You've been given a gift. You're gifted for ministry. So don't shrink back. Don't hesitate. God hasn't given you anxiety here or the spirit of fear, but instead the spirit of power where you can step out and you can function, this ability that God's personally going to God wants us to be um, aware of and thinking about. Then he gives us a secondly, the spirit of love. This is agape love. The word agape is the word that in the Greek lexicons means affection, goodwill, benevolence, warm regard for, interest in another. This is how God views you and I. He has a goodwill, benevolent heart for us and a warm regard for it. And you know, his love has been demonstrated already to all. I refer to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I'd like to read a few verses, and you know, I'm just going to read them, but I'd love it if you would look them up, maybe pause and look them up as we read. But Romans 5, 8, Paul says, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us died for us. You see, Hollywood points us to half-naked people in a bed and says, this is love. But God takes us to this half-naked son dying on a cross and says, this is love. Why? Well, we have to take into account our sin first. We have to realize our sin. It should be obvious here in this time of the virus and all that's going on with it. Have you had any selfish actions in these last week or two? How many rolls of toilet paper are stored up in your closet? You know, the doctor said to one young man, that, or to, to a man who has tested positive, you've tested positive for the virus today. And he said, no, doc, that's impossible. I have 300 rolls of toilet paper. So have you done some hoarding? You know, we can be selfish, can't we? And not only that, but we can just be mean to one another. We can be unfair at times. We can lie. I mean, we can go on and on. We're not holy. We're not perfect like God. Our sinfulness is obvious. And in heaven, there is no sin. God doesn't exist with any kind of sin whatsoever. He's moral and holy. So we're going to need to remain outside of heaven. We're not fit for that. There's a separation there. That separation actually is called death. That's what death is, separating. So who's going to fix this? I mean, here's God on one side. He's awesome and holy and pure and even loving. But here we're on the other side, and there's a real barrier of sin between us. And we can't fix it because we're the problem. We need an external solution. Well, the good news is that God loves all of us. He loves this fallen and sinful world, full of its sickness and its disease and its viruses. In fact, Jesus came and incarnated into our world. He came from the holy heaven, pure, and he came and lived among us and and then died for us, paying for our sin. He took on that cross the disease and the death and the separation that we deserve. He took upon himself the sins that we've committed. And God then put his wrath upon Jesus Christ as he died, as the wages of sin is death. 
But then he rose again, three days later victorious, proving that justice was served, and he's on display to the world. He's alive, and he's living, and sin has been conquered, and death has been defeated. And through him, life is available, and here hope is born, and there's opportunity for you. You see, Jesus is a resurrected Savior offering life, and it's free. He offers the solution. You can have cleansing and forgiveness through him because he'll save us by grace. Grace, what does that mean? It's undeserved favor, kindness from God. And we receive all of this by faith. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him, be persuaded by what he's done, shall never perish but have eternal life. Faith is to be persuaded that, and then trust. Do you believe that God loves you? Take God at his word. He declares his love for you, and Romans 5, 8 says his love has been demonstrated. Christ died for you, and now he's risen, and he's offering you life. <clears throat> Cleansing, acceptance. You know, there's a movie called Cool Hand Luke, from the 1960s, and Paul Newman was the star, and he made a line that I really like after winning a, uh, sometime after, but he won a poker hand, you know, with a big bluff. He didn't have anything. And as they were kind of talking about that, he said, sometimes nothing can be a real cool hand. And I thought, that's grace. We have nothing in our hand. We have no claim to fame, and yet we win it all. We get all the benefit. Nothing I bring to the cross, everything I receive. That's grace. How cool is grace? We win on the merits of Christ, on his merit, on his hand. We get in related and connected to him. We don't deserve it, but his kindness and goodness extends it to us for free because he's a God of love. So we have nothing and he has it all and he's giving it away. Nothing is the only kind of hand, then, that really can receive his gift. An empty hand, then, that gets filled with the gift of God through grace. Sometimes nothing is a real cool hand. I'm reminded of that in Isaiah 55, verse 1 through 3, where the prophet says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance and climb your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live. That's grace. Come, buy and eat. Have it all without money, without price, and it'll satisfy. That's how God saves us based on Jesus Christ who paid for all this. And we come with an empty hand. As Ephesians 2.89 reminds us, by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, cool hand grace, that's the best kind of hand. Nothing from us, all of Christ. So may we all learn to respond to that love and that offer. We respond to it at a point in time when we say, yes, I believe that Christ loves me and died for me and is, will give me life. Well, back to 2 Timothy 1.7, we see that God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
but he has given us the spirit of power, his power channeled personally in us. He has given us the spirit of love, his love now demonstrated, and we've responded to by faith. And if we have, we become his children. We become, the scripture calls it, being born again. And this just gets way more personal. He's now the heavenly father, Abba Father. And we become the children of God. And this love is now a key part of our our makeup and our thinking. In fact, the spirit of love will now influence you and compel you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. It urges us. It motivates us. God's given us the spirit of love. Then we see the third thing he's given us, the spirit of a sound mind. You know, this is all one word in the original in the Greek. It's just one word, and it just carries the idea of making sense, being sensible or prudent. So it's a mind, actually, then that's, you know, fixed on truth. Makes sense. It's prudent. You see, there's a firm reality. We don't make reality. We adjust ourselves to a reality. The reality is what it is. The virus is what it is. You can wish it away, think it away, downplay it, or whatever, but it is what it is, and really it's the ones that adjust to that reality. So, for example, we're not meeting in churches right now, and schools are closed, and all large crowds are banned, and so forth. Why? Well, that's prudent. That just makes sense based on what we do know about this virus and what we do know of its reality and how it spreads. So based on observation and repeatability, this is a good way to try to, uh, to protect ourselves and maybe get ahead of it. Well, just like that physical reality, there's a spiritual reality. And the real reality really is the spiritual reality. And God is the God of truth. He's the sovereign creator in his reality. It is what it is. In his word, it doesn't fail. In fact, not one promise has yet ever failed of, his, of a promise that he has promised, according to 1 Kings 8.56. So his words count and his truth informs. So here we have the spirit of a sound mind because what God is saying, these ancient words, they're, they're, they're sensible and they give us wisdom and they show us perspective and it's a light onto our path. And so God gives us this truth and God gives us this wisdom. So Timothy, Paul is saying, look, God has given you spirit of power, ability to personally channeled into you for your giftedness and God has given you the spirit of love, perfect love. Respond, you respond to and it motivates you. And God has given you the spirit of truth, this word, this wisdom, this helps to frame your thinking. So back to verse 6 now. With that in mind, those are all reasons to what? Stir up the gift that is in you, Paul says. And stir up is the key verb and for, 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 our, for our side of the action. Stir up means to rekindle a fire. It's the only time it's used again in the New Testament, but it's a mental exercise where you are stirring up internally, feasting on truths, you know, and, and stir up that gift like rekindling a fire. And then as you do that, you can do so because you know the truths we just saw in verse 7, the three spirits that we do have that influence and direct our thinking. And so then you can go and face without the hesitation what it is that God is maybe nudging you to do within this, your giftedness. And so stir that up as, and you'll be renewed in courage and in love and with truth. And that applies to us. Let me give you a closing illustration coming from Genesis chapter 1 in the story of, of Hagar. And Hagar was um, uh, made a, a, bonds, uh, um, a servant of, 
Sarai and Sarah and Abraham. And her story, there's a lot to that story, but we're just going to look in Genesis 21 where she was pregnant with uh, or had been given birth to Ishmael. A uh, long story behind that, but Ishmael was not the promised son, was not the Abrahamic covenant child. That was Isaac who came through Sarah. And uh, though, so now uh, Sarah says, we, when Isaac is born, we can't have Ishmael around. He's not going to be part of this inheritance. He's not going to be part of this, and you need to send him away. And God confirmed to Abraham, you know, you, you can send her away because I'll take care of her. So in Genesis 21, Abraham rose early in the morning in verse 14 and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and to it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. And Hagar, she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba and the water and the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from that boy at a distance about a bow shot and she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. And so she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Wow, talk about anxiety. How confused she must be. She gets driven away, sent away. And, and why? Why is this happening? And, you know, she's not seeing all the big picture like God does, but she's going, I'm alone here. I'm hurting. I'm fearful. I can't go on. And then we see in the passage that God heard the voice of the lad and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? What's wrong? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, rise up, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And this is something God had already promised to Hagar some chapters earlier in the scripture. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. There was her relief. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad to drink. You see, in that distressing place where Hagar is, God showed up. He knew her by name. He called her by name. He's the only one who calls her by name in the whole biblical stories of Hagar, the accounts of her. And he says, don't fear. I'm aware. And he repeats the promise that he'd already given her, that her son will be of a great nation. There's going to be a legacy here. So here's the word and the truth has already been there. Here's the love of God. And then we see the power of God rise up. And then there was water. She had a calling, a direction. She had truth. She had a promise given to her in the past about her son. She sees the love and the care of God personally in her life at that moment. And she sees the power of God as the water becomes visible. These are all working in, 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 in her thinking. And so it is with us. Friends, may you and I, may we be impressed with his person and power brought right into our lives. May we be motivated by his unconditional and unwavering love that's pointed right at us and is around us. May we be anchored to his truth, to the sound mind wisdom granted. And with that, knowing he's already given us the spirit of these things, may we rekindle the fire. God has placed a plan and has gifted us for something and a plan for us, and he wants us to rise. Don't fear. He's aware. He knows you by name. He's given us promises. We can rise up, face that hesitation or that anxiety, knowing that we have the spirit of love and the spirit of power and the spirit of a sound mind. Rise up. And we do so, we step toward him by faith. We move toward him in our thinking. 
We can thank him. We can praise him. We can even enjoy a promise. He hasn't changed. And we can rise up. You know, during this time of coronavirus, we can know, listen, family, that hasn't been canceled. Singing has not been canceled. Laughing, that's not been suspended. Prayer is not canceled. Reading scripture is not canceled. Connecting with others, even if it's just electronically, not canceled. And hope, hope is not canceled. So we may rise up by faith, step toward God, move toward him in our thinking, and step out. We can get out of that bed. We don't need to feel paralyzed. We have what we need to face the day. No, we don't have all the answers. We don't know what's going to happen next. And what about and what about? But we're not alone. And you're not alone. And know that you are loved and you are known and you have this awesome truth and you have promises. And these things will help you stare down the anxiety. Shall we pray? Lord God, we come before you. We thank you for the simplicity that we just saw, even of salvation. How we don't come with our works and our efforts and our promises and our pledges. We come by faith. We're persuaded in what you have said. You love us. You sent your son. He died for us. And he's resurrected and he's offering life and forgiveness and cleansing and hope. And it's all based on his merit. We come with an empty hand and we have you fill it with eternal life. Father, for everyone who's listening, may they all have become persuaded. May they trust in their thinking and claim the promise you give and believe on you and know that they have eternal life. Thanks for the the gift and the calling and the function you've given to each one of us who are saved, the giftedness and the direction. And may we stir it up, knowing you already have granted the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind to all of us. Even if we've been wasting time or squandering it, may we just stir up that gift knowing you would want us to step out and respond to you and to walk with you again. May we rise up and let these truths stare down the anxiety and have hope in days like this. In Jesus' name, amen. Before ending, you should know there is a set of questions that accompany this podcast. And for now, we're just making it available by just emailing us at coolhandgrace at gmail.com. All one word, coolhandgrace at gmail.com. If you just email that, we'll send you the link to the devotional discussion type questions that will accompany even just this message we just had. Until next time, remember, where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.